0: And welcome to the d c podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today's discussion is with PR, content marketing visionary, Lauren Kleinman, founder of Dream Day PR and The Quality Edit. With Dream Day, Lauren's pioneered the concept of performance PR, connecting the best brands with the best publishers on a fully performance or affiliate-only basis. From one content marketer to another, I have to say how impressed I am with what Lauren's put together and the value that she gives in this cast about this super relevant topic. We'll cover the BuzzFeed breakthrough, how using editorial PR in ads can help you convert better, which affiliate tracking technology platforms Lauren prefers to work with, why affiliate marketing works better than pay-to-play for PR, how to sell Condé Nast and Vogue on partnering with you, and how Lauren's content marketing business, The Quality Edit, scaled to 350,000 monthly uniques without paying a penny of her own on ad spend. Are you curious yet? I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. On with the show.
1: BuzzFeed was one of our first publisher partners on the performance side of things. So we sent a specific editor there, the vitamins, she wrote this really authentic review. We saw, okay, everyone that is reading this BuzzFeed story, even organically, a high percentage of them are reading that article and then checking out. So what we saw was that this piece has a very high conversion rate. What we also saw was the lifetime value of the customers that came through the BuzzFeed article was much higher than if they were coming in through just a normal ad or through like another source. So basically when we did that with BuzzFeed, we saw the success and I became obsessed with it. We just started doing it with every publication that we could find.
0: Hey retailers, ever feel like your shopper experience feels just like everyone else's? Here's an idea. Put your shopper first with the only personalization platform that is purpose-built for retailers. BlueCore combines retail data and predictive intelligence to match online shoppers with the products they will buy next across channels like email, site, paid media, social, and SMS. Automate and scale your personalized content offers and recommendations for each shopper in a one-on-one, individualized experience. Visit BlueCore.com to see why brands like Noble, Express, and Bliss have gone shopper first to drive repeat purchases and increase customer lifetime value. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Lauren. Can you first start by telling me why you created Dream Day to start with?
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, So I created Dream Day about three years ago, and I had managed PR agencies my entire career and felt like there was this real um, gap wherein, you know, you shell out a lot of money, ostensibly, per month for a PR agency, and the primary metric that they're giving you in terms of success is of course, you know, the quality of content, how many hits they get, but also just like UVPM, which is unique views per month, which I felt was such a useless metric um, on being on the other side and kind of managing those agencies and felt like it's only telling half of the story, right? So you get the content, it's maybe a great story, but how is that content actually performing and how is it impacting the bottom line for the company? So a lot of what I had done prior to starting Dream Day was um, specifically in the affiliate marketing space and um, forging direct relationships with top tier publishers. Um, I had also managed affiliate agencies and noticed that they were primarily just turning on coupon sites and deal sites that were actually... One, not good for the um, brand and the longevity of the brand, but two, would also be like stealing attribution from the top tier publishers that you're trying to be included in in the first place. So let's say, you know, Condé Nast and Vogue write about your brand and you have Honey turned on they're getting that final click attribution and kind of credit for the sale. And so maybe Condé Nast one day is like, Hey, why, um, are we directing all this traffic to your site, but nothing is converting. But in reality, what I found is that affiliate marketing agencies are looking at kind of short-term wins and you know, how can we show that we're growing the program as quickly as possible, um, at the sacrifice again, of brand and also potentially like pissing off all these top tier publishers and Um, inhibiting your ability to get those um, hits in the future. So we're kind of the first PR agency right now that's pioneering this new approach to PR that is kind of this dual-pronged approach where we are, um, on the affiliate marketing side, um, specifically focusing on top-tier content and top-tier publishers. None of our clients are running any sort of deal or loyalty sites for the most part. Um, And then on the PR side, we have this kind of new approach where we have a very specific um, niche around consumer and shopping PR. So what is the PR that we can get your brand that is going to drive incrementality and revenue through the affiliate channel? So when we're t- we're going and kind of getting that press, we're not only pitching commerce editors, but we're also pitching kind of heads of affiliate and, um, you know, heads of marketing within those publications or, you know, media companies. And what I found is that um, the kind of dual-pronged approach not only allows us to get really high quality inclusions, but also high quantity of inclusions, because again, these publishers are... Um, In the business of making money, and commerce is the number one way that they are um, growing those businesses. So, basically, if you can partner with those publishers in a way that's mutually beneficial, it's a win-win for the brand, for the publisher, and for all kind of like future partnerships with that brand and that publisher. That was a a long-winded answer, but uh, (laughs) that is what led me to to create Dream (laughs) Day.
0: There's a lot of pieces in that puzzle and for you to be able to approach all these publishers with an affiliate style commission where, you know, they're used to probably before that getting paid to play, um, which if you think about it, like if you're just paying for an ad, it's going to be probably less of a good piece of content potentially than one where they're really incentivized in the same way that you are to sell it, Right.
1: And, and one that is organic too, right? Like if you pay for, we, we typically don't do any sponsored content. I I've, I've done a lot of that in the past. And I think there's a time and case for it specifically when you are looking to leverage that story in paid acquisition for years to come, I always build that into any sort of like sponsored content by, but, um, I think for us, yeah, we're, we're thinking about how do we set up those long-term partnerships? How do we authentically introduce the brand to these publishers? And like you said, I think it's, it's about understanding kind of what the publisher's needs are, what the brand's needs are, how can we mutually incentivize them and introduce them to the brand in a way that is authentic. So that instead of like this sponsored content piece that, you know, um, you can tell is sponsored, frankly, it's actually coming from an editor. It's just using affiliate links.
0: I wanted to ask, like, what's the life cycle of a PR hit these days? I think about it from my perspective as a newsletter you know, owner. We, we put our newsletters out. It hits people's inboxes. We put them on the website, and there's like a trailing amount of traffic that gets there. We're, we're trying to grow the SEO aspect of the site over the next little while. Really excited about that. But ultimately, I'm wondering with PR, are these do they become evergreen content pieces in these larger publications?
1: Yeah, that's such a great um, question. It's really interesting because you can have you know, the same story in two different publications, and they perform wildly different. You can have, um, you know, different story in the same publication, and they perform wildly different. I would say like, in terms of like the average life cycle, we'll typically like see a spike for a good, you know, two to four weeks. um, And then it tends to die down. That said, we really focus on, like you said, evergreen content. And there's kind of two ways that I think about that. One is, what I see to perform really well is an I tried it piece or a dedicated review on a specific product launch or brand. I tried it. This is my authentic experience with the brand. When people are Googling that brand, let's say Brightland olive oil review, that press is going to be what is showing up there on the first page of Google. Most of the time, assuming it's from a credible outlet. And, um, with those types of pieces that are showing up on the first or second page of Google, you know the life cycle could be 5 years or as long as the the brand is in business as long as it keeps ranking right so um, we do have amazing you know publishers strategists is one that comes to mind that always rank you know first page of Google if they can get that dedicated piece and those will drive you know commissions when we have that affiliate link in place for many years and can be you know you can have one publication driving a very large piece of the affiliate kind of uh, mix at large.
0: I imagine for this to work, all the pieces have to be right. You can't bring a brand that is not substandard, but maybe that isn't really cool or really unique or really interesting to these huge publishers. How do you manage which clients qualify for for this kind of PR?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. I, I feel like we are hyper-focused and all, almost like surgical about who we bring on. And obviously we've you know learned um, through the years, kind of what are the right brands that are fit and are going to be most attractive to publishers. And I would say there's a few things that we think of. One is what I would call just like these editorial darling brands. They're brands that already, before they come and meet with us, they have some good stories under their belt and they're already interesting to editors, right? Because if that's not the case, then publishers are not going to immediately see the revenue opportunity for forging that direct partnership with the brand. We can obviously, you know, make the case as to why that brand is interesting, even if they are niche or new. But I would say our sweet spot is a brand that is kind of has already gotten good press under its belt and is looking to kind of scale on the affiliate side and get you know press and affiliate to the next level. I would also say like Instagrammable brands are really great. I think also just thinking about what works best for press, you know, a brightly colored pan or a really buzzy candle that, you know, looks good on Instagram. If there's good photography, that's going to come through in press and excite editors. Because again, thinking like a publisher, they're going to see great revenue opportunity and their job is to curate, you know, really cool products. So kind of I would say Instagrammable, trendy, buzzy, um, brands, but outside of kind of those vanity metrics, I would say another thing that we really look for, um, you know, over 70% of our, uh, brands that we work with are female founded, um, over 65% are BIPOC founded. And we, you know, I would say really specifically seek out really interesting stories and authentic stories from those founders or has to be a really interesting, I think, reason as to why they started that company. And I think this gets into kind of the conversation around like blends. Um, I forget who wrote that article a couple years, but something we try to really steer clear of. I think, um, you know, just in my history with Ritual, you know, being started you know, by a mom when she was trying to seek out a better prenatal that didn't exist on the market. I think that story for Ritual is what drove kind of the longevity for the company and there are tons of copycats out there, but I am a big believer that if you have a truly authentic story for starting the company and you're serving a real need and gap in the consumer's mind, not only are you going to have more longevity as a company, but it's going to be way more interesting and compelling for us to pitch an editor with, you know, an authentic story. Um, than, you know, uh, a guy that decided to create like a bikini company <laughs> or a swimwear company for women.
0: Yeah. Um, exactly. So when a brand comes in uh, and they, they work with you, do you, can you automatically start talking about like long-term affiliate relationships or do you have to run these things for tests at first to see if it does sort of satisfy everyone's needs?
1: I would say we've gotten pretty good now. Like we won't take on a brand if we don't believe it has legs on the affiliate side. So Pretty quickly, like when you partner with us, we're going out to publishers within like the first three weeks with our initial pitch. Which we've also kind of like developed this methodology for our pitches of you know what we think will be not only most enticing to editors but also um, publishers. That includes things like you know celebrity fans of the brand, influencer fans of the brand. What are hype metrics? Meaning like how many times has this product sold out? Is it now back in stock? What is going to, again, thinking like a publisher, how do we kind of like serve up the story for them on a silver platter where, you know, there's been many instances where like our subject lines become the headlines and our pitches become like the stories. But again, thinking like a publisher, what is going to help them easily um, drive the most amount of clicks and the most amount of uh, conversions?
0: Can you take us back to your time with Ritual? Ritual was a a brand that I followed really closely when I was kind of coming into the space. And obviously, the the BuzzFeed story is something that's been a a big part of our industry. Can you talk about your experience with Ritual at BuzzFeed?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, BuzzFeed was one of our first kind of content or publisher partners on the performance side of things. Um, Worked very closely with their team and had really an amazing experience. This was also like the heyday of Facebook when... Things weren't so uh, crazy, and you know, brand—it wasn't nearly as competitive. Brands were really able to scale, but um, we were one of the first brands that came in, and essentially, that partnership looked like we um, set them up on uh, share sale through our affiliate program at the time. We seated kind of their whole team. Uh, again, this is pre-COVID when there were like stock rooms you could send just millions of vitamins to each publication, which we did. Um, but sent a specific editor there, um, the vitamins, she loved them. She wrote this really authentic review that had an affiliate link, um, within it. And when we were looking at it, we saw, okay, everyone that is reading this Buzzfeed story, even organically, like over, you know, 15% of them, or maybe it was 12, but a high percentage of them are reading that article and then checking out. And, Um, so what we saw was that this piece has a very high conversion rate, but again, I was always frustrated by this idea of like, you know, when press hits, it hits and then it dies down. And so what I wanted to see was like, how do we actually leverage this piece for the lifetime of the company? And so that got into the idea of like, okay, could we put paid spend behind this piece? And so we started to do that with BuzzFeed and had a lot of different, you know, ways that we were doing that, testing it behind their handle, behind our handle, meaning like our, you know, ritual handle serving the ad or BuzzFeed's handle serving the ad. Um, there were times when we were managing the media spend, times when their team was managing the media spend, all kind of rallied uh, around kind of like the CAC targets that we were trying to see. And that was, you know, the most successful ad in Rituals' account. Um, then I don't know what it is now. <laughs> I imagine which, that
0: which was was it white was it white labeled was it on Buzzfeed? What was the the scenario there that made it most successful? Was this
1: individual Buzzfeed review from an editor that we leveraged through paid acquisition. Cool. Um. So that performed really well. And again, I think you know, thinking in the mind of a consumer what are you influenced by, right? Like you're influenced by, you know, maybe influencers, editors, um, having that kind of third-party review help tell your story for you in that way that comes with an automatic layer of credibility and validation is, I think, just like so um, impactful for the brand. And it's also, if you think about the flow of an ad from a consumer perspective, you, you know, let's say see the article served from the BuzzFeed um, account, you read the whole review of, you know, why the editor loves it, why she's going to be a customer for life, the fact that it is a subscription company. And then the idea is that like, they're already educated on the brand or on the product so that when they land on your actual PDP or on your website, they already are like ready to check out. <laughs> they're, they're, you don't have to sell them anymore. What we also saw, which I thought was really interesting was the lifetime value of the customers that came through the Buzzfeed article was much uh, higher than if they were coming in through just a normal ad or through like another source. So again, just, you know, that goes back to this idea that like when you're educating the consumer to think about a brand in a certain way, you know, they're going to be subscribers longer, they're going to be believers longer, because in their mind, they're already primed to kind of understand the value that that product is, um, is giving them. So basically, when we did that with BuzzFeed, I, we saw the success. We just, uh, you know, it really opened up kind of a whole new level of like scale for Facebook for us. And I became obsessed with it with the head of growth there. And we just started kind of doing it with every publication that we could find. And um, we did, you know, sponsored content, not, not affiliate, but we did sponsored content with like Well and Good, with Pure Wow, well, um, with Attention. And those also performed really well. It was like our top five best performing ads were all these ones that were like leveraging content in their advertising. That said, like transparently, (laughs) I don't want to piss anyone off, but felt like BuzzFeed was kind of first to do it and knew how to do it really well. They were, you know, nimble and kind of flexible in the ways that they were working with brands and really like understood this model. Whereas I think some of the other publications were kind of further behind and so that kind of led us to start now, you know, the quality edit, which we can get into as well. But you know we built this media company with uh, this idea around how do we work with brands in a way that allows them to be performance oriented towards content? And kind of, yeah, like I said, inspired the quality edit.
0: It's the quality edit is so smart. You know, uh, you know, working at Pilot House, a performance marketing agency, we recognize the uh, the value of this kind of content in the funnel. So whether it's an appearance on Dragon's Den, you know, where you're building that into a presale page or, or you're putting these reviews, you're, you're running to this other traffic to, to maybe an, an article presale page that you make. And we actually even took it a step further, where we were actually creating these things that we called third party brands, where we would create brands that would then talk about a product, just, just so that in the conversion funnel, there's multiple multiple uh, points of interest. Basically, you're hearing from the brand, you're hearing from these other brands talking about it. But in a lot of cases, they're sort of astroturf. They're not not really providing value. You took it to a a whole other content marketing level with the quality edit. So go into that. Because to me, it's like having started D2C, which is now its own company, which has helped fuel the growth of this like 140 person agency with Pilot House and is now also a standalone private business. I'm in awe of like other great content marketing strategies. And the fact that you have advertisers paying to grow your content brand is like the next level of like amazingness. So well done on that.
1: Thank you. Yeah. uh, It's an interesting way to think about it. And yes, you're right. A lot of brands are paying us retainers um, and directing traffic to our site. That said, we are also, uh, you know, we manage media spend on behalf of TQE campaigns. We provide conversion optimized third-party landing pages. We are a content studio, so we are doing all the ad creative. We open them up to all this influencer whitelisting as well. Um, and then, of course, we're also providing the third-party dedicated editorial. So our fees are largely like centered around the deliverables and management fees. But like you said, that has also allowed us to grow um, you know, extremely quickly. And like you said, kind of on the backs of a lot of this spend... Um, even organically, you know, if you look at like our Facebook followers or our Instagram followers, we bootstrapped this company. We didn't invest a dollar of our own money, um, maybe aside from like GoDaddy fees and have largely like built a company um, that was, you know, profitable kind of on day one uh, through this model.
0: And about how many monthly uniques are you up to now in the quality edit?
1: About 350,000 to 400,000. And yeah, a lot of that is also coming from paid. That's actually something that we, you know, I think traditional publishers like, you know, spend 15 years uh, building, following, and then they figure out how to monetize. Right. And I think we have a different uh, but interesting challenge where we are monetizing very early in our, you know, company and now, kind of the focus is how do we grow organically? How do we, you know, do more on email? How are we growing our TikTok following more substantially? How do we build like a real cult following, which I think we've uh, we've started to do, but you know, definitely want to really focus there, and you know, that's going to be a big priority of ours in 2022.
0: We all know how tough the past 12 months have been, with supply chain and marketing costs rapidly rising. Ecom World is your secret weapon to help your brand get back on track and make this year your best year ever. Ecom World is hosting an online event that will arm you with the strategies you need to grow your D2C brand profitably. Meet experts like Kellen Fitzgerald, head of Ecom at Glow Recipe, and Davey Fogarty, CEO of The UDI, as well as 80 other Ecom experts who are paving the way in D2C. Get their step-by-step strategies to optimize the growth of your Ecom brand right now DTC listeners receive 30% off the ticket price. So head over to ecomworldconference.com slash DTC to get your ticket now. That's ecomworldconference.com slash DTC. So let's talk about the the third party editorials on quality edit. Like I imagine um, having worked with so many of these, you know, editorial brands, uh, Vogue and Condé Nast and whatnot, you probably knew, you know, a lot about what to do. And I imagine working obviously with your own company, you're going to be a lot more nimble. I imagine there's massive benefits to creating your own media company, having worked with these massive media companies before.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you say that because... Basically, um, you know, my my co-founder and I were kind of like noodling around this idea around like just how do we recreate some of that success that we had seen with BuzzFeed and, you know, at Ritual um, in a way that would like actually make sense for a brand. And I'd say before I get to that, I would just say, you know, there were, were instances at Dream Day when I was getting clients the best press, right? Like I would get a feature piece on Vogue for this brand. And I would take that back to Condé Nast or to, you know, whatever publisher and say, you know, we want to amplify this. We want to spend millions of dollars, like, driving traffic to this content. And, you know, it was uh, extremely expensive. There were many layers of, like, legal approval. It was just, like, very hard to kind of push anything through. So I think to your point, you know, being able to see the media landscape and then understanding kind of, like, exactly where we could fit in, I think, was, like, hugely beneficial what was your original question?
0: I think just, I think what you learned from the big publishers that you've applied to to the smaller business yeah. and where are you benefiting from not having to work with these, you know, more legacy organizations?
1: Yeah. So it's. Uh, I was also going to say that, you know, um, at Dream Day, I was trying for my clients on the Dream Day side of things to like get them, like I said, to kind of like amplify this content. There were several publishers that before we were really deep into the quality that I was meeting with and I was like, hey, we want to do this, this way. And in many ways I was like teaching them how we had done it, you know, at Buzzfeed and, and it was extremely complicated. Like I was, you know, teaching them, but then like I was, you know, they have to then tell 10 other members of the team and just felt like they, they either don't have the right teammates in place or just not, they're not thinking about it in the same way. You know, they have different priorities and focus. So what I found was that we're instead of teaching other publications, how to do it, like we should just build it ourselves. And, uh, and yeah, that, that proved to be kind of the right move.
0: Where are clients using these third-party editorials? It's, It's usually it's a top of funnel play. Do they also work bottom of funnel?
1: It really depends. We kind of test everything. Um, we, we test in prospecting and retargeting, and I would say it's, you know, different for every brand in terms of where it performs best, um. But, you know, we test stills and GIFs and video creative. And I wouldn't say that there's like one through line that is like this, you know, place that it works every time for every brand. Um, But, you know, different types of creatives work better in different uh, areas of the funnel. And I would say also just that it's, you know, a bit different for every brand.
0: So you've built up this content, which is probably just highly functional because people are reading it, they're engaging it, they're making purchase decisions based on it. And it's, it's like a performance brand that you've built out through ad spend. You mentioned, you know, the next phase of growth for the quality edit to be more based on maybe organic growth or to be, to gain virality, to really get out on its own two feet from an organic standpoint and become a like a cultural force, potentially even like a Vogue or a Condé Nast. What what can you give us a little bit of a preview for your plans for how you're going to do that?
1: <laughs> Million question. Um, you know, I think that hiring for sure has been like a, you know, obvious area that we need to really focus on. We've been a really lean team. Um, we have five people full-time on the team. We do have, you know, 45, I would say like contractors that are editors and, you know, creatives and part of our creative roster. But I would say, hiring the right people that can kind of fill these gaps on the, or it could be a consultant, but on the email marketing side, on, you know, social media, on building out kind of TikTok. We're also not opposed to partnerships with other, uh, you know, media organizations or even publishing companies where we could do, um, you know, sharing traffic or, you know, revenue. Uh, I think there's also even other, you know, like minded kind of platforms that are really interested in kind of the creative that we're providing, and also the quality of our editorial. Um, And maybe they're focusing on different areas. So I think, you know, in short, I think partnerships are going to be a big part of that. What else I think also influencers, you know, we we do have amazing influencers that are kind of on our influencer roster. And I think, Integrating them more into our content is going to be really important. Um, obviously, it's kind of a similar approach where if we have a really big influencer that's writing a piece for us and they share it on their, you know, social media, then we're, um, you know, getting the attention and the awareness within their entire audience. And so you can imagine how that kind of at scale could work. One other area that I've been thinking about is, or that we've been thinking about is. Um, also, just we're working with, you know, hundreds of the best like direct to consumer brands. So how do we leverage their audiences, right? How can they send an email that shares like the quality edit content or how can they post about us on their Instagram or TikTok and you know, we receive those, uh, those followers from their shares. So a lot of a lot of different kind of partnership uh, avenues. But if you have any other great ideas, hit me up.
0: <laughs> oh, I will. I'll, I'll I'll stay in touch for sure. Are you uh, have you rolled out a TikTok ad integration? I was just trying to think about it because it's it's video ads. So it's you may still drive to PR pieces on the TikTok side of things, but you need an influencer to kind of make the video. Do you have anything cooking on the quality edit on TikTok?
1: We do. We are already advertising for our partners on TikTok and Snapchat and Google and seeing a lot of really great traction. I think. Of all of those, TikTok is probably the most uh, compelling right now. Um, You know, I would say right now, probably 90% is still on Facebook and Instagram. But for our partners, we are definitely like rolling out additional channels and um, seeing a lot of really promising results already.
0: One of the, the trends that I'm interested in, and I haven't heard as much about it lately, but uh, is, is headless commerce. I remember we had repeat on the podcast one time. And he was showing me all these headless checkouts that, that you're able to do through repeat. And I was just curious is if you've ever thought of integrating like, the, more of the shopping process on the quality edit. Do, do, do you see that in the future at all?
1: Definitely. I think we, you know, we want to be the publication that is testing and trying a lot of these kind of uh, newer content strategies. And I think most importantly is simplifying the shopping and uh, experience for like the modern consumer. We have been talking to uh, companies like Canal and Bonsai that are both kind of doing their take on on that um, and do think it's really compelling. I think we haven't you know, prioritized it yet, but we are integrated with Bonsai. There are, uh, you know, several articles and products that you can shop that are one-click checkout on the Edit site. It hasn't been our priority, I would say, because in working with top-tier publishers and ones that are, you know, either fully integrated into kind of that or into one-click checkout or um, ones that are, you know, doing a, a real push towards it, I would say that, you know, their takes are kind of like it's a, it's a bit like lukewarm. And I think that the consensus is kind of that it's still a weird and new experience for the consumer to be buying a D2C product on a publications site. I don't even know if I've done it once yet before, even though I know that, you know, the strategists are well and good like they have these sectors of their site that you can just shop and check out. I can't say that I've purchased a product yet. And I think there's still a lot of questions in the consumer's mind that they're just not, um, aware of kind of exactly how it works. Like how will they do a return or what if they have a customer service question or, you know, again, that kind of layer of like education that happens when you it's land on late. a brand site or on a PDP, you're kind of missing that whole brand experience. I think like if you shop fly by Jing, you know, uh, chili sauce, like directly on a publisher's site, like, and you miss their entire, like, kick-ass website, I feel like that's, it's kind of still a miss. So I I feel like there's still almost like a, an experience gap that is happening. Um,
0: It makes me think of live shopping. It makes me think I'm just Googling like China's live shopping and, you know, it's a $170 billion industry in, uh, in 2020 and like almost totally nascent here. But I I wonder if there's a play for you guys as that evolves.
1: I know there's so many companies I feel like trying to, you know, solve for that, that I've seen. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's um, culturally just like different, you know, trends and like ways that we shop. I mean, obviously like the, you know, old version of that is like QVC and that, you know, seemed to work well or you look at like what bad fit fan is doing on their Facebook channel, which I think is, you know, uh, really interesting. They do like these live shows where they're selling products um, directly. And, you know, I think it's really interesting, but a, it, it is also interesting to me that there has, even though there's so many players in this like live shopping space, there hasn't been one that has emerged that like, you know, everyone is aware of or is using. Um, but I do, you know, I do believe in like the ability for influencers to, you know, sell products on site. I just saw last week, a. a company that is, uh, you know, widget that allows them to live sell on any direct-to-consumer site, and the influencer is, like, scheduled to come on in a certain time, and that's kind of when the brand directs or tries to direct all the traffic to come on at the same time, and, you know, they are showing that that lifts um, conversion rate and, you know, whatever, click-through rate, like, when checking out, but um, I don't know. I don't know if it's quite there yet. Yeah. Watch Um, this space.
0: I don't know anyone who's ever watched a live, you know, it is such a cultural specific thing right now. I I really don't know of many people kind of playing with it over here. But yeah, it's a a good space to watch.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, so you you're working with so first of all, I, I'm excited for you to give me some intros. Uh, I would love to get Fly by Jing on the podcast. You're probably working, you're working with so many uh like cool D to C darlings. You mentioned a really great tip right off the top about you know evergreen content being focused on these individualized sort of product experiences that are sort of more evergreen. Did you have any other examples or tips uh, about PR generally that that some of these brands that you're working with are just nailing?
1: So I think one is we've we've talked about already like having a really compelling story and really like honing in on that really like sharpening kind of what that is and and being very crisp in your wording about why you know why would an editor care um and even i like to frame it to brands as like if they launch a new product what is your dream we ask this of every brand when they launch any new product we say what is your dream headline for launching this like what do you envision is going to be compelling and is going to be truly newsworthy. Um, so I did think you know, aside from having a really good story, aside from having a really good product, I think also like the PR agency's job is to lead the horse to water, so to speak. And from there, it's the product's job to sell itself, right? You have to have a really high quality product that people authentically love. Otherwise, we can send you know editors as many uh, samples, but if it they don't actually like the experience of the product. It's not going to result in anything. So, yeah, an authentic story, great product. Um, I've mentioned kind of like some of the pitching tips around having big celebrities or big influencers be involved really helps. Um, sold out stats or like hype data that you can include in pitches, I think, is really helpful.
0: Hype metrics. Like this is the first time this has been mentioned on the podcast, and I love it. Like you know the number of times you've sold out. Are there any other uh, like key hype metrics I should know about?
1: Sold out, um, back in stock. You know, we we asked Fly By Jing's team, we said uh, after their dumpling launch, how many dumplings have actually been sold? If you were to add up every single dumpling, how many dumplings have been sold? And they came up with a number of 1 million. So it was like a million in two months. And that's really interesting. That's a headline, you know? And so we went back out to press, said a million dumplings sold in two months. And obviously, like they, you know, started running that on ads too, which I imagine was effective, but that's kind of how I would think about the hype data. I think going back to celebrities, you know, we have a, a client that was Meghan Markle's first direct-to-consumer investment, and she seeded the product to Oprah and did the product to Kim Kardashian, who both posted about it organically on their Instagram. Oprah gave them like a dedicated Instagram post, and um, every headline is like, this Oprah loved... Kim Kardashian-loved, you know, Meghan Markle-backed brand, and again, kind of like validating this idea of like, okay, you know, editors want to write about things that their audience are going to be interested in. Celebrities, influencers, like they really move the needle. Other tips, obviously in every pitch we include, you know, the affiliate marketing uh, link, whether that's, you know, on share Sale or Impact or whatever kind of network that they're using. We also offer preferred commission rates for top-tier publishers, so you have what is called like your baseline rate, which might be let's say 10% that you're offering anyone who sees your share sale program, and then you offer publishers a, an increased commission rate of let's say 15 or 20% um, that just further incentivizes them to want to forge that direct partnership with you and you know be receiving more uh, revenue on every click or you know purchase that they drive. One other or two other things, um, and this is I think really obvious, but having newness around the brand, having new products to launch is really helpful from a press perspective. Um, If you have one product for years, it's just really hard to continue to get that press and like momentum. So I would say all of our clients are really, you know, sophisticated kind of in their marketing and thinking about marketing calendar from, you know, a year uh, point of view and scheduling out kind of really exciting new product launches. Um, and if they don't have a new product launch, maybe it's a new collaboration with another you know, really exciting like-minded brand or some sort of special partnership that they're doing with a celebrity or yeah, a- anything else. But again, just thinking from the lens of a publisher, like what is going to be compelling to them and how do you align, almost reverse engineer your marketing work to align with that.
0: Are there any other brands out there that, I guess they're all your clients, so they're all your favorite, but are there any other that are just really killing it that you'd call out?
1: Um, can I call out my clients? I mean, we've we've had Brightland as a client uh, for about two years now or ever since we really started Dream Day. Um, they're incredible and just like continue to kind of crush it on, you know, new product launches. Every time they launch something new, it's kind of a hit. Um, girlfriend collective is another client that we just brought on and I would say they're doing an amazing job in kind of like sustainability and, um, inclusivity. Um, a brand that is not a client of ours that I admire, uh, from a marketing perspective is vacation, the sunscreen brand. Um, I don't know if you've seen them, but I feel like every touch point to that brand is so fun and funky and authentic to kind of who they are and, um, you know, I think not only did they create an amazing uh, product and kind of on-site experience, but you can tell that just every touch point of that brand is just so authentic and differentiated and uh, and unique. Um,
0: Talk about a space ripe for disruption, too.
1: Yeah. there's You know, there's, there's other competitors out there, but I think that because their marketing was so... Um, unique and their kind of whole approach to it was so unique. They really, I think made a big splash and continue to do really fun and funky things on the marketing side.
0: Wow. Yeah. I'm on their website right now. Really cool looking brand. Check it out. Vacation. Inc. Yeah. Um, If if
1: you, um, if you also go into like their products, I think they like auction off, I'm going to botch this, but they auction off like, uh, water bicycles and (laughs) let's see, do I see that somewhere? Go to the oh yes, go to the bottom. They have a tiki boat charter. They have a vacation aqua cycle. Um, looks like those are sold out, unfortunately. But I just feel like they really really uh, walk the walk when it comes to the weirdness of their brand.
0: I love it. Well, you mentioned you know, and I think you're you're okay saying this. Dream Day right now, you're sort of full up in terms of the client roster. Um, but if vacations listening, you know, or if any of the other like really cool brands out there that that might be interested um, they could probably get in touch, eh?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if, uh, we can't help, we're happy to kind of, you know, steer you in the right direction. And, um, at the quality of it, you know, we, we have everything really operationalized there and are seeking out, you know, as many brand partners as we can. So yeah, definitely interested in any introductions. Thank you.
0: Very cool. Well, tell them D2C sent you. Let's definitely stay in touch here because, you know, content moguls got to band together in these tough times. And I'm super psyched for what you're doing, and uh, really excited to watch it grow, especially as you kind of kick in some of these organic um it's it's similar to our position as well. We're putting out all this content that people really like. they really vibe with. um, but it's just kind of going onto our website right now. you can you can get it all there. but it's not it's not curated uh, super well yet. And we haven't when we haven't really put into into you know all of this nascent this content that we're putting there isn't fully optimized for SEO. It's so you know looking at the amount of traffic we could be getting you know, you could easily be getting 400 uniques through organic traffic as well, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. And actually, that's a great point in terms of organic growth. We do invest in SEO. Um, We have a great agency that we work with there. And um, that's huge. You know, we're ranking higher than a lot of these top tier publications for SEO currently with the quality of it. And I attribute that to a lot of things, I think, like the, you know, quality of the content, the length of the content, the firsthand review, you know, there's a lot of the photography, even there's a lot of kind of factors that play into that. But yeah, absolutely. Like SEO is such a huge uh, priority for us.
0: I don't want to get, I don't nerd out too much right at the end here. it's something we didn't hit on a little bit. I'm curious, how do you view attribution for PR? Like how you talk about performance PR and you're obviously tracking clicks through the sales. Can you talk a little bit about what the, the sort of like high level attribution model looks like for performance PR?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, assuming we do have like a trackable affiliate link within that content, which we 90% 90% of the time. And if it's not in, we ask the publisher to include it so that we can track it. But we are tracking, I think, first and foremost, as you mentioned, um, the amount of clicks that is coming to that content. Some of our clients are not only D2C, So in those instances, we have to know that, you know, it's very possible that you, for example, read an article about June Shine, but then go to purchase it in a Whole Foods or, you know, Sprouts or what have you. Um, but You know, we are primarily looking at uh, clicks, conversion rate from each of those publications, and then we can measure, you know, revenue and not only, you know, the commissions that are paid out to the publishers, but how much are each of those sales for each, you know, click that is coming through. And with that, what we like to do is we can look in, you know, increments of, let's say, on a quarterly basis, or let's say we're, we're going into holiday what are the top five publishers that have performed best for you, you know, this year? Um, And how do we further incentivize those publishers, um, you know, going into the holiday, for example? So we can do things like um, commission bonuses, you know, performance bonuses. Even in an evergreen fashion, you can say to publishers, you know, if you hit, you know, X amount of revenue, we're going to boost your commission rate or we're going to bonus you by X amount. Um, So it allows us to actually be, you know, a lot more kind of data driven in terms of, let's say a brand is launching a new product, who are the top five editors or five publications that we really want to focus on based on how those publications have performed for the you know brand in the past.
0: All right. So if people want to get in touch, uh, where do you recommend they go?
1: Yeah. My email is Lauren at dream la or Lauren at the quality dot com, depending on, uh, which you're interested in. And, um, I know, as you mentioned, if you uh, mention the podcast, we'll hook you up with some sort of special uh, discount.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at Direct2Consumer. all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C podcast. We'll see you next time.